There will be no consequences. That is the great lie that Satan foisted upon humanity. It's the first lie told and believed to humans. When Eve is in the garden and Satan craftily interrogates her and says, why don't you eat fruit from that tree? And Eve says, because if we do, God said we will die. Satan, the father of lies, gifts humanity with the worst possible gift of all time, the ultimate lie. There will not be any consequences. You will not surely die. And with that lie, Satan introduced into creation all of the havoc and difficulty and chaos and sin. Because Eve chose to believe that lie and she chose to do not what God told her to do. But she and Adam embraced disobedience, believing wrongly that there would be no consequences. And you look around the world today and you think, oh, what a lie. That lie, there will be no consequences. You and I are free to choose whatever we want to choose. That lie has echoed throughout human history, even among the people of God. For example, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12, God says, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent. Who are, left like wine, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. You see, Satan's lie is not just that there won't be consequences for sin. The lie is also that God will not reward those who obey. That God simply doesn't care, isn't there, or isn't paying any attention. Jeremiah Chapter 5, verse 12. They have lied about the Lord. They said he will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. That's a lie. It is a lie that God will do nothing. Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. This is what Satan the deceiver does. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Not that God won't be mocked. That he cannot. It is not possible for him to be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. God can't be mocked. It must work out this way. Second Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Above all, above all, you must understand that in the last days now, Scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Why? Because they believe the lie. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on 
as it has since the beginning of creation. This is the lie that God will do nothing, that God will not punish sin, that God will not reward obedience. This is the great lie, the first lie believed by humanity, the lie that continues to be foisted upon us by the father of lies, the one that we have come face to face with each and every day of our lives. It's this lie that Jesus wants to take head on this morning. It's not surprising that this is a season in which Jesus wants to face down this lie. We're in the midst of a pandemic. I believe it's a plague, a plague from God. We see in this country fire. God says in Amos 7, fire is one of the things I use to judge my people. We look around and these are national or global responses, but the point is God is not being silent. God is seeing what's happening and he is responding. And the lie that he doesn't exist or he's not paying attention or he's not going to do anything, this is the season in which Jesus wants to say, I am doing something. I do see what's happening. I am responding. And so today we speak not so much nationally or globally, but individually and church-wide. Choices have consequences. Jesus will respond. This is the message he has for us today. We'd like to hear it from his own lips. So if you would, would you take a Bible and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 992. If you've got your own Bible, you're at home. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. We're in chapter 2. It's not surprising that God has placed the book of Revelation as the last book of the Bible. The great lie that Satan has foisted upon humanity, the first lie that we were told and that we believed, that's in Genesis chapter 3. It's the first lie in the Bible. The book of Revelation stands at the opposite pole from that lie as the truth from God, the response that no, sin does bring death. And although it's taken longer and there's been more twists and turns and we haven't recognized all that's going on, when Eve and Adam ate that fruit, it set into motion things that Revelation brings to completion. And the book of Revelation is quintessentially about the fact that God does see and God does act, that God rewards those who obey, that God rewards those who have faith, and that God punishes those who are disobedient. We come to the fourth message that Jesus has for us, his church. This one is written to the church in Thyatira. That may not be a church you've heard anything about, it's not that familiar of a church to us. We don't know much about Thyatira from the Bible, except there's a woman from Thyatira. She's the first person to become a Christian on the continent of Europe. Now, she gets saved in the city of Philippi. Her name is Lydia, but we're told that Lydia 
is from the city of Thyatira. And we're also told that she's a small business owner. She is a merchant. She sells purple, purple cloth. Now you think, well, wow, just one color? Purple's expensive. It was very rare. Lydia is a good businesswoman, and she is involved in this small business trade. She owns her own business. That's fitting because most of Thyatira, they were known for small businesses, merchants, tradespeople. It's perhaps like many of you here at Calvary Church. Maybe you work for a small business or you're an electrician. Maybe you're a tradesperson, an engineer. Maybe somebody who works with their hands. If anybody is going to understand that choices have consequences, it's people like that. I mean, if you work for a big corporation, sometimes it can feel like your choice doesn't move anything at all. But in a small business seems like every decision has consequences. If you're an electrician or a plumber or you're a builder, you realize that when you make choices, there is something there at the end. You've done something. You've created something. You've built something. Choices have consequences. It's one of the reasons why kids often resonate, students resonate more with art class than they do with math class. Because at the end of art class, you've done something, you've built something, and your choices have consequences. And so to this city of Thyatira and to this church, Calvary, here in Grand Rapids, Jesus is saying, look, choices have consequences. Good choices result in good things. Bad choices result in bad things. And so Jesus begins this message to the church of Thyatira and to Calvary Church, the same way he begins all his messages, with a description of who he is. Verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Jesus introduces himself and says a couple of things about himself. It's a reference to the fuller description in Revelation chapter 1. But the first thing he says about himself is he says, these are my words. This is not me speaking to you. This is Jesus speaking to you and to me this morning. And he identifies himself as the Son of God. Now, we're familiar with that title in Christian circles. But interestingly, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is only called the Son of God once, and it's right here. He calls himself that. And while Son of God has lots of stuff that goes with it, In this context especially, it's a reference to Genesis 3. It's a reference to our original parents, Adam and Eve. You see, when Jesus incarnated on the earth and Luke gives us his genealogy, he starts with Jesus' mother Mary and then works his way back saying, this person was the child of this person who was the child of this person who was the child of this person. All the way back until we get to this verse, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the what? The son of God. Adam is the first one in human history identified as the son of God. He's a different son of God than Jesus is. But the idea is is Adam was given responsibility for this planet. 
Adam was given responsibility to take care of things and God created Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground and they were identified as the son and the daughter of God. But as the son of God, Adam chose to disobey God. And as a result, all the chaos that we have now, all the sin, all the sickness, all the dying, all the pain, all the suffering is a result of that choice to disobey. Jesus says, I am the son of God, recognizing that he is the unique second person of the Trinity who incarnated himself as Adam's descendant to come and show what the true son of God should do and would do. And Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified on a cross for the rest of Adam's descendants' sins. And if nothing else, we as Christians should believe that choices have consequences. Otherwise, Jesus was crucified in vain. The Son of God, who came to redo what Adam did wrong and through his obedience overwhelm Adam's disobedience. And so Jesus introduces himself. These are the words of the true son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire. It says in Psalm 94 of the wicked, they slay the widow and the foreigner They murder the fatherless. Why? They say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. The lie that Satan tells is God doesn't see. He doesn't see what you're doing. He doesn't see what I'm doing. He's not paying any attention. Jesus says, oh yes I do. I see what is going on. His eyes are blazing like fire. The idea is there is no darkness to him. Everything, he brings his own light everywhere he goes. When he walks up and down the aisles of this church, when he walks around the living rooms of our home, at our businesses and our schools, he says, I see everything. I see you. I see all that is happening. And then he says, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Again, no accident that the city of Thyatira, this is a tradesman city. This is where they work with metal. This is where they understand the strength of burnished bronze. That this copper and tin alloy that has been put together, that that has been molded and shaped, has strength and power. And Jesus says, my feet are made of strong stuff. The image is, is that he crushes wickedness beneath his feet. It's an allusion to Isaiah 66. This is Jesus speaking. It is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. And so Jesus is asked, why are your garments red? Like those of one treading the winepress. Jesus' response, I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. 
He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. The image of God crushing sin beneath his feet. This is Jesus' feet of burnished bronze. It's also an allusion to Genesis chapter 3. This first sin, the first lie that was told and believed that there would be no consequences. When God shows up, despite the fact that Satan said he wouldn't, when God shows up and says to Eve and to Adam, what did you do? And they acknowledge this and immediately they are cursed. Adam is cursed. Eve is cursed. And Satan is cursed. And in God's cursing of Satan, he says to him, there will come one from this woman, a seed of this woman, a descendant of this woman standing in this garden. And you, Satan, will bite his heel like the snake that you are. And what will the descendant of Eve do to the snake? Crush his head with feet of burnished bronze. The God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath our feet. The imagery here is Jesus says, you think I'm not paying attention? My feet crush the wickedness in this world. This is the introduction of the one who has a message for us today. He begins with commendation. Then he moves to some criticism. Then he comes back to commendation. So let's work through this with Jesus. Verse 19. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I love that. Jesus says, I see what's going on. He says, when I look around this room, when I look into the hearts of the people of Calvary Church, he says, I see lots of people who are loving their neighbors. I see lots of people exercising faith. I see lots of people persevering, serving, lots of volunteering going on, lots of people doing the right thing. And I love the fact that Jesus says, and you're doing more than you used to. He's like, well done. All the stuff that you want is there. Love, faith, service, perseverance. Jesus is going to come back to the commendation and he's going to say even more positive things. But the encouragement is, he says, I see what you're doing. It's not hidden from my eyes. Well done. Well done. It says, nevertheless, verse 20, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling so I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according 
to your deeds. Jesus says there's a problem. And he references Jezebel. Now in Thyatira and at Calvary Church, Jezebel is a metaphor. But it refers to a real person who lived in Israel's history. Jezebel is one of the most wicked women in all the Bible. Her story is told in the book of Kings. She was not an Israelite, but is married to the king of Israel, a man named Ahab. And we are told in the scriptures that Jezebel egged Ahab on to unspeakable atrocities. One of them is described for us in 1 Kings 21. And when you hear it, it sounds enough like certain things that happen in this world today that we don't think of it as much of an atrocity as it is. But in that story, Ahab, who's king, surveys his land and he finds this place. He says, I would love to have a garden right there. Just love to have a garden right there. The problem is, is a man named Naboth owns that land and he's got a vineyard there. And Ahab thinks he understands stuff that we don't understand as well. But in Israel history, that land is not just land that somebody bought on the open market. It was land given to them by God that's been handed down for generations. Naboth's land came to him in the conquest. It came in Joshua. And for centuries, that land has belonged to his family by God, given to him by God. And so Ahab understands these things, being an Israelite king. And so he's moping around going, well, I really want to build my garden and that guy's vineyard's in my way. Well, Jezebel looks at him and is like, oh, I can take care of this. You're the king. And so she sends letters to the elders, the elders of the village in which Naboth lives, his own people. And she says, throw a worship service, a festival to God. And when you do, invite Naboth. And when he's there, make sure you seat two scoundrels next to him, one on either side, and have them falsely accuse him of blaspheming. And these elders choose to do it. So they have a worship service, a festival to God, to celebrate God's goodness and his provision. And Naboth comes because God's been good to him. He's got land, he's got a vineyard. Praise the Lord. And so he comes to celebrate and the guy sitting on his left and the guy sitting on his right, they both say, hey, I heard this guy blaspheme the Lord while he's praising God. And so they take him out and they kill him. And the elders notify Jezebel. He's dead. Jezebel takes his land and gives it to Ahab and says, here, I've got this for you. And God was exceedingly angry. And so he says to Elijah, I got a message I need you to go deliver. And Elijah shows up and says to Jezebel and Ahab, what is this wicked thing that you have done? Do you think that the Lord doesn't see? Do you think that he was not going to defend what happened here? And so Elijah pronounces the judgment of God. He says to Ahab and to Jezebel, you will surely die for this sin and your children will die for it as well. He says, dogs will lick your blood from the ground. Ahab, amazingly, this guy is not a good king. 
He hears the judgment of the Lord and he repents. I mean, when you read the story, you got to read it twice. If you know who Ahab is, you're like, what? He refuses to believe the lie that there won't be consequences. He knows there will be, and so he repents. And so God says, okay, this is not going to befall Ahab. Now, he does die for some more sins later. Jezebel, she believes the lie. God's not going to do anything one way or the other. There is no repentance, which is why in this passage, it's not the spirit of Ahab and Jezebel. It's the spirit of Jezebel. Now, I want to be careful here. This is a message from Jesus to us. But he is not saying that anybody here is Jezebel, either literally or metaphorically. He's saying the spirit of Jezebel is present in the world in which we live. This idea that there will not be consequences, this idea that take what you want, do what you want, you're free to behave however you want, and there will be no consequences, that spirit does not come from us. It comes from the world, but the problem is is that some of us are drinking deeply from that lie. One of the examples that Jesus uses is sexual immorality. When Jesus was on the earth, he made his way to Samaria in John chapter 4. And he goes there to find a woman who's living with a man who's not her husband. And Jesus is very gracious and he's very kind but he also loves this woman enough not to leave her in the middle of the sin. And so he confronts her on it. She had believed the lie that she could sleep with who she wanted. She could live with who she wanted, that she didn't need to be married. And Jesus said, this sin is destroying your soul. It's tearing you apart. And the truth of the matter is, the world tells us you can have sex with who you want. You can do whatever you feel like doing. And God says that is the spirit of Jezebel. That is the lie of Satan. God has reserved sexual intimacy for a husband and a wife. And this world that says live with who you want, it doesn't matter if you're married. Hey, you could just kind of practice for marriage and as long as you're committed to one another... Jesus says, don't believe the lie that sin won't have consequences. It does. And he says to each of us here today, if you are engaged in that kind of behavior, listen, I'm giving you time to repent, but I will cast you on a bed and you will suffer intensely, even to the point of potentially suffering death. It's hard words. Jezebel also was guilty of abuses of power. She's the queen. Those elders want to please her. She wants that land. And so she uses her power to bring about what she wanted to have happen. Jesus says, that spirit's alive and well in the world today. And the lie that especially to those in power, you can do what you want because you can get away with it, that is Satan's lie. 
And for those of us who might abuse power at work, yelling at subordinates or others because who can stop us? We're the boss. Jesus says, I see what's going on. For those who are abusing their power, engaged in sexual harassment, Jesus says, I see what's going on. For those who are using their influence on the sports team, maybe you're the star volleyball player and you've basically said to the coach, if you don't play my friend instead of that girl over there, I'm not going to play for you. Maybe you're on social media and you've got some sort of following or you've got influence or you're able to do things to influence other people and you've decided, you know what, I'm going to use my abilities and my influence to make life miserable for that guy or for that girl or for that person. Jesus says, I see what you're writing. You may think things on the internet are anonymous, but they are not anonymous to Jesus. And he says, all of us have some form of power. You can have power in your own family over another sibling and treat them in such a way because you happen to be older. Jesus says, the spirit of Jezebel says, you can abuse your power and get away with it. And Jesus says, please don't believe that lie. He says, I see what you're doing. Choices have consequences. Now you may say, I see lots of people doing all sorts of stuff and they're getting away with it. And you would be right. Which is what gives Satan's lie its power. But the truth of the matter is, some of those people that might be getting away with stuff might be non-Christians. This is only talking about Christians here. It may also be that those same people that you think are getting away with it are not getting away with it and that they are suffering like that woman who is uh, in John chapter four who outwardly seems like she's fine but inwardly Jesus says you are bone dry and thirsty because of the sin. It is tearing your soul apart. But you and I don't see that. It may be the consequences are coming. And that Jesus is simply giving that person time to repent. But whatever their situation is, Jesus is not talking to them this morning. He's talking to you. And he's talking to me. And what he's saying to us is, if you persist in disobedience, there will be consequences. There will be suffering, even potentially physical death. Jesus then returns to the commendation. Verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira. Take a deep breath here. To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Her teaching is Jezebel's teaching. Satan's so-called deep secrets is this great lie that you can get away with things. Jesus says, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Here's the good news. When Jesus looks around this room this morning, he sees lots of people who are not believing Satan's lie. He sees lots of people who know choices have consequences. He sees lots of people who, because of faith and love and service and perseverance, are doing really great things. And Jesus says, there are some among you who think they're getting away with sin. They won't. 
to the rest of you. Jesus is saying, I see what you're doing. And the great news is, please hear him say this. You don't need to do anything more. Meaning, there's not more you got to keep doing. He's like, you're doing lots of stuff. You're doing it out of love. You're doing it out of faith. You're persevering. You're serving. And Jesus says, I don't need more from you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Well done. Keep going. Don't be afraid that you're not doing enough. Sometimes the idea that choices have consequences make us think, I could be in trouble if I don't do more and more and more and more. And Jesus says, I see what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. And then he adds one more word of encouragement. Still on the idea that choices have consequences. Verse 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one, that one, the morning star. Jesus says to those here who are believing that choices have consequences, who are doing what God has asked you to do, who through faith, doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means you recognize that when you sin, you should confess those sins. It just means that you should work against sexual immorality, that you should try not to abuse power, that you should not fall prey to idolatry, and that when we do, we confess that to the Lord. He says, to those of you who are doing that, you also need to understand that choices have consequences, but in a good way, meaning that God will reward you for the work that you're doing. He says, I will repay each person for what they do, whether good or bad. Part of Satan's lie is do whatever you feel like doing because God's not going to punish you. That's a lie. The other half of Satan's lie is don't be bothered doing good things because God's never going to reward you for them. That's a lie as well. And so Jesus speaks to those of us who are trying to labor and do these things. And he says, I see what you're doing. Rest assured, I will reward that. There's three things he says in here about reward. The first, he tells us what they'll be. He says authority and responsibility, that's the scepter language in verse 27. And essentially what Jesus is saying is, look, I see what you're doing. No one else may see, your family might not see, your workplace may not see, people in your church may not see. He's like, but I see it. And those of you who are being faithful, he says, I will give more to you to be faithful with. I will give you more responsibility, more authority, both now in his kingdom and when he returns. Jesus knows how to promote people. He knows how to give them more to do. He knows how to give them recognition for the work they're doing. He says, I see what you're doing and you will be rewarded. He also promises to reward us with the morning star. That's a reference to the light of Jesus' face. And it symbolizes peace and joy, happiness, and blessing. Not a life without trouble, but the blessing of Jesus' face. And I hope you feel that this morning. 
his face shining down on you. And the reward is him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. These rewards will both come now and in the future. Jesus says, I have already received authority from my father. It's already my job, Jesus says, to assign people their work to do. He's already the morning star. He already has his spirit to give who has love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. We'll say this over and over and over again about the book of Revelation. It's about the future, but it's speaking to the present. And Jesus is promising these rewards not just when he returns, but also now. A variation of the lie of Satan is, oh yeah, well you can be good, but you're not going to see any benefit for that for years and years and years. Jesus says, no, I see it right now. And I reward and repay those now as well as in the future. The final thing about the rewards from this passage is that they're commensurate with what we do. Another variation of this great lie. Yes, if you sin, you will be punished individually, but if you obey, you'll be rewarded collectively, meaning we all kind of get the same reward. Everything's fine. That's not true. Do you see what Jesus says in verse 23? I will repay each of you according to your deeds. This is not disobey and get punished individually, obey and get rewarded kind of in the big collective. No, each of you, meaning Jesus sees the work that each of you is doing and he's rewarding each of us individually on that basis. This is why some of the last words that Jesus speaks in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they've done. Not I'm going to give collectively the same thing to everybody. Jesus says, look, this is a message that individual choices have individual consequences. And the result and the good news is you are going to be rewarded commensurate with what you do. And you may look around and go, I feel like I'm the only one who's trying not to engage in sexual immorality. And all of my friends and all of my peers and all of the people, they're doing those things. Jesus says, I see you and I will reward you for what you're doing. You may be choosing not to be on social media and not to try to exercise power or use hate to influence people to do things one way or the other. Jesus says, you may be the only one You may be the only high school student not doing that. He says, but I see it and I will reward you. And the good news is, whatever you're doing, you think you may be toiling in obscurity. You think you might be the only one. If you are, Jesus says, I see that with my eyes. I will reward that generously. So his final line is, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Satan's lie is there will be no consequences, either for good or for evil. Jesus' truth is, 
I will repay each according to what they have done. For those who choose disobedience, there will be suffering. For those who choose faith and obedience, there will be reward. Let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.